just a little love note to all of our loyal free cookie listeners and to anyone who might be new to the show. This is an ad-free podcast. And we want to keep it that way. We want to make sure that we can just give you guys the awesome content, the great interviews. and Without the stuff that you have to fast forward. But in order to do that, we need your support. So if you could join us over at patreon.com forward slash free cookies and become a patron of the show, there are many tiers that you can join. You can throw us a dollar, you can do five. And it turns out we're going to start putting some content up for those of you who are hardcore free cookie supporters. We're going to make this worth your while. So if there's some of you out there who just listen to the show, and you feel like, hey, you know what? I could, I could spend two, three bucks a month. Great. If you guys need a little something as incentive, we're going to put some videos up on Patreon that are going to be exclusive to those of you who are free cookie monsters. And I mean, we're talking some good content. Like I'm going to take you inside my sneaker closet, like that kind of content, you know? And I will contribute recipes and perhaps every now and then our dog will give you a soliloquy. So again, that is patreon.com forward slash free cookies. Thank you. Thanks. I'm Catherine Budig. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is Free Cookies, a humorous podcast filled with thoughtful conversations and offering delicious takeaways. And today, speaking of me doing that, do you know when that started? I don't know. I feel like it's been happening for a very long time, though. Yeah. I feel like in the beginning, I might have been like, and today. And then I decided that I... And honestly, I always feel like it puts the pressure on me to follow up with what today is. You think that what I've done is co-opted the territory in which we have this standard operating moment, and then you have to... I always give the description of the show and start with saying my name, and then you say yours, and then you do the end today. And then you look at me, and I'm like, motherfucker. Oh, but you always you always jump in and you just pick up like it's no big deal. But every mo- every time in that moment, you have that feeling. This was very unusual for you to follow up with saying something else. So did you feel like a blessed burst of relief? I feel like I can kick off my boots and cross my ankles up just, on the counter and just watch you do the show. Watch me, listen to me do the show. Because on today's episode of Free Cookies... I am very excited about the guests that we have today. We have... Emily Danforth, the author of Plain Bad Heroines, a book which is one of whom's, one of whom's, Mm. the book, the main character of which (laughs) is a woman named Harper Harper, who is based on a real Instagram personality, but kind of a discreet- Not a mainstream celebrity. No, no, no. Like an Instagram influencer. And so you have to tune around for this, tune in for this interview- because in it, Catherine has one guess at who the Instagram influencer's inspiration is for this character. And I won't, like, let's leave the listener in suspense. Oh, we're going to tell them. My God. Burying the lead. About no. whether or not you get it right. Because oh. if you get it wrong, I guess, why would I put it at the top of the show? Yeah, but you probably wouldn't. Neither. Ne- neither here nor there. But it is the last episode of 2020. How many episodes did I just count? 27. We've done 27 episodes since March. 27 episodes. And don't get us wrong. This is not the end of... Free cookies. Free cookies. <laughs> this is not the end of this season. It's not the end of the world as we know it. Um, it's the end of the world. But we are going to take a little hiatus because we've been going pretty strong, going pretty hard. We need to... Rejuvenate. We do. Wait, but, but was that, is that REM? It's, it's the, the end. end of the, yeah. Okay, so very quickly, do you remember when we were 
just coming of age to buy music and CDs were just coming into the stores. Yes. And CDs had either like long plastic attached to them oh, for no it. reason. Yes, what was this? Or they would come in what was known as a long box. Yes, I remember both of those. And I just found out the reason for why they were packaged that way. Oh, do tell. Was because record stores had been set up. Is to- it harder to steal them that way? No, mm. but that's a really great guess. Do you want to take guesses? Is it so if you buy two of them, it's like you're getting a CD and a little doll and you can (laughs) like waddle them around. Like a little toy for your kid who's obviously part of the purchase. Total, totally not a choke hazard. No, it was because record stores were set up to showcase records. And they couldn't figure out how couldn't figure out. Oh, like the CDs would fall too deep. Yes. So Mm. then you'd have the long box and you could put two long boxes and it would take up one record. Well, all that plastic does not seem like the right solution for getting new shelves. The reason that I bring this up and like I feel I'm stealing from another podcast because they did an episode on this. The reason I'm talking about R.E.M. right now, not Emily Danforth or Plain Bad Heroines. (laughs) Yes, do tell. Is because everybody hurts. R.E.M. and this was back in the 90s. When their first CD was coming out, they also were like, oh, we care about the environment. We are not okaying you releasing our CD with like triple packaging when you don't need it. And so they came up with the, like the packaging was like the rock the vote and the motor voter bill. And like, so instead of just being useless long box extra paper, it was this, uh, it was this, this petition you could sign and send back to Congress Hmm. to pass this motor voter bill to sign voters up. So it was voter registration. And then DC got flooded with like hundreds of thousands of these signed petitions from young people from the REM packaging. And I just thought it was like a really fascinating, it just, I, I, I just, but you don't have any memory of that happening at the time. This is what you just heard. I on. don't remember buying that REM long box, but no. when, during the episode, I remember being like, that's right. When CDs first came out, they had all this extra packaging. But I do remember the losing my religion video. Do you remember how good that was? I remember somebody being in a corner. No, that's everybody hurts. Ah, <laughs> but someone's in a corner in an REM video. In most videos, yeah, yeah. Wait, not most videos. People yeah, there's normally a sad person in a corner in a video. <laughs> is that what Blair Witch Project is about? Yes, it's inspired by all of the four father and mother music videos. Yeah, it, it, there's no original idea. Everything has been done before. Blair Witch stealing from REM. So sorry that that was a that was such total a detour, non sequitur, but, but I enjoy that. I, okay. I enjoy that. We get get back onto what today's show is about. I'm so sorry. Emily Danforth, she is the current pick for the Inky Phoenix for my book club, and it's Plain Bad Heroines. It is a book within a book within a book, and it's like the Russian nesting doll of novels. And she also wrote. Many of you maybe have read this and or seen the movie The Miseducation of Cameron Post. Mm-hmm. which um, I actually have not read the book, but I have seen the film, and the film is fantastic. Yeah, it's really good. And this book, Plain Bad Heroines, is unabashedly gay. It is which, hella, hella gay, which obviously we are here for that. And I noticed that I, I loved how unabashedly gay it was. Like It was every female character in the book was queer and was actively queer, not passively but queer. But not gratuitous no, at all. No, 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 You know, it's not like, oh my God, another sex scene. No, no, there weren't like, there weren't actually really any sex scenes. There was, well, anyway, we don't yeah. need to go down that road for. <laughs> there is a threesome. Yeah, but it doesn't really go all the way. Again, it's not mostly, gratuitous. It's mostly just making out. There's stuff in a bathtub. There's some things happening in a bathtub. Yeah, there, there's some um, 
Tom, what, not tomfoolery. What is it when you peek your your Tom peeking? Nope, tomfoolery and peeking. You're peeping Tom. Peeking Tom. Peeping. 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 Not peeking Tom. Oh. Peeping Tom. But it, peeping like looking. That's an interesting origin story of the phrase peeping Tom. Huh. It's uh, because it could be peeking, right? I mean, although peeping. Is peeping Tom peeking after peeping? Yeah. <laughs> peeping is a little more imbued with um, voyeurism. <laughs> I didn't hear your joke, so I'm just I'm carrying still really on. I'm really enjoying my joke. Okay. <laughs> so peeping is definitely imbued with more of a voyeuristic implica- implication than peeking. Sure. So peeping Tom. Yes. Is what it was. That's what I was Do you to think say. that if Emily listens but to the But it wouldn't have been a peeping show, Tom. It would have been a peeping uh, Tamira. What's the a female name? Because it's, it's hella female gay. Yeah. So what's the female version of Thomas? Yes. Tamara. 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 There you go. Tamel. Tomel. <laughs> Maybe we should bring Emily on. Yeah, we should probably bring her on. I don't know if she listens. This is why we're going to take a break. It turns out we've run out of content. We've run out of motor skills. Motor voter bill passed in the 90s. Pickled pilot piper poodle. Let's, <laughs> Emily, come on to the show, please. Help. Save us from ourselves. Oh, kind devil. Emily M. Danforth is the author of the highly acclaimed young adult novel, The Miseducation of Cameron Post. She has an MFA in fiction from the University of Montana and a PhD in English from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. She lives with her wife and two terrible dogs in Rhode Island. Plain Bad Heroines is her first adult novel. I wonder what makes them terrible. Well, it was actually a good transition because I wanted to talk to you about your house. Oh, okay. So the fact that I can picture the fact that they're putting siding on this house in Pawtucket because my mom grew up in Warwick. Oh um, my gosh. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So you know, you know the bucket. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go. I mean, mostly when somebody says Pawtucket, all I, like, all I care about are the Paw Socks. Oh, of course. Which, I mean, which you must know are leaving. I know they're leaving, right? My knowledge of the paw socks ended when I was about 13, but (laughs) it makes me very nostalgic when anyone mentions Pawtucket. And Emily, not that many people mention Pawtucket, it turns out. I know. I know. Even in Rhode Island, we don't get No, no, not enough love. I mean, I'm sitting across the table being like, the bucket? I don't understand what's happening right now. Listen, I lived in Rhode Island for several years before I knew what anybody was talking about when they said the bucket. But yeah, we lost the paw socks to wound socket. Oh, fucking wound sad. socket. What's fucking a wound, wound socket? Yeah. Listen, guys. No, no, I lied. Oh, God, I'm giving you wrong information. It's even worse. They're not in Rhode Island anymore. We lost them to Worcester. Worcester? I, I, I totally messed that up. We lost them to Worcester, yeah. Oh, They're my God. I, listen, I, I don't want to trash Worcester, but fuck that place, okay? <laughs> What's happening? Fucking Worcester. What are you guys talking about? What's a yeah, wood socket? Like, a these wo- are not okay. even real places. No, these are not even. <laughs> no, they're not. But it's funny that Rhode, like Rhode Island is. I mean, everyone knows it's a small state, but whenever I hear anyone knows anything about Rhode Island, like mm. you have you have to talk about Rhode Island. You just have Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. I want to talk about coffee syrup. 
Okay. Oh yes. Because oh, oh I've oh. had the coffee syrup. The co- oh, yeah. yeah, that's good. Which tastes kind of like caramel, right? Yes. Like it doesn't really. I mean, if you're because I drink a lot of coffee, I'm one of those people, and the and the co- I like it. I like it, and I love that my friends are like, we could get that as a choice for, for like milk delivery in elementary school. You <laughs> yes. can you can choose coffee milk, and I think that is so brilliant. That, brilliant. Like, the second grader is like, I'll take the coffee milk, Mrs. Garfield. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it's like so yeah. amazing. Yeah, add the cane sugar to it. Add it. <laughs> Um, and then we, well, I know that we have a book to talk about, but also like Dell's. Oh, right. Dell's. Yes. Fucking Dell's, man. There's a lot of controversy out here between (laughs) Dell's and Mr. Lemon. Are you aware of this? No, I I don't, I don't even want to entertain the thought that Dell's is not the king of frozen (laughs) lemonade things out there. Some Rhode Islanders are going to get pretty (laughs) upset. Pretty upset. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, Catherine. I'm going to try to contribute (laughs) here now, you guys. All right. Sorry. Wow, my contribution to Rhode Island minimal is You know, I'm not even a, I'm not even a local. I'm not even I'm from Montana. So like don't, you know, I like for folks out here I'm not even considered like they don't even count me among the Rhode Islanders. So don't worry. Which is kind of crazy after the book that you just wrote. I feel like after reading Plain Bad Heroines that you definitely Your cred is higher. You, it's it's okay. serious Thank you. cred. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. okay. Well, All this right. wasn't going to be my original question, but I'm just going <laughs> to like we're, we're rolling. Are we good now, Liz? Oh, we are rolling. It's okay, happening. good. Because people okay. want the Rhode Island content at the top of the I show. Hope they do. They do. So, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> well, okay. So let's just go there. Lovecraft, Rhode Island, Providence. Yeah. Yes, yes. And you know, and this your amazing, amazing novel. This book is <laughs> just like the. I mean this in the best way. This is the weirdest book I have ever read, and <laughs> well, thank you. I just loved it. And then you know, you do bring up Lovecraft towards the end of the book. And and you bring up his like total white supremacist douchery and and yet it sounds like Providence is totally like is Providence still Lovecraft central like can do you get like little Lovecraft trinkets everywhere or how is that <laughs> you can't you can't get Lovecraft trinkets everywhere that I'm aware <laughs> no, of I just there figured are. there was like little bloody stumps keychains and stuff like that I don't know no I mean I know that there are some ghost tours that will show Lovecraft locations um, and I and I, I've only been on one of those and so I don't know how much like his is racism is acknowledged on those ghost tours. It's not like a Lovecraft ghost tour. There is a big horror fantasy uh, festival that typically happens in person here. But I believe at least in recent years, you know, panelists and speakers have taken up, right? Um, not just kind of like in praise of Lovecraft. Yeah. But I have to say, like, I was not, I am a, a fan of horror, obviously, but not somebody that was kind of steeped in, in younger years in Lovecraft, where it feels like a lot of other horror writers and fantasy folks sort of have that background. And I, I honestly, other than like a sort of glancing knowledge of his name, wasn't really even aware of Lovecraft sort of as a figure or Lovecraftian tropes much before we moved to Rhode Island about a decade ago. I just didn't, you know, it, it, it was not. It, now, he may have been influential to some of the horror writers that were influential to me, but he as a figure was not somebody that I was aware of. So I feel fairly grateful for that in that I never knew him as a figure that was anything but deeply racist right mm-hmm. like that that is that is how i understood him from like kind of my earliest knowledge of of, of lovecraft um but i understand that that's not obviously the the, the common story of lovecraft as, as he's known so wow. yeah 
I, I feel now about how you felt about Rhode Island and that all I know about Lovecraft is Lovecraft Country on HBO. And that is oh, okay. well, that's good. literally that's good. the only thing I know about. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Besides yeah. like the, the, the nods to it in, in the book. Like my, my knowledge is not deep of all Lovecraft. All you need to know is he's generally referred to as kind of like the father of the horror genre. Yep. Wow. Basically. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And there are a number of sort of tropes, right? Like I think associated with, but like that you could branch out into and, and, and think about in terms of like, like what that means in terms of like of the, and I say this with this particular kind of Lovecraftian relish, like the tentacles of his work. Yes. Right. But yes. I think that like be, be beyond that. Yeah. Like I just, you know, I know that there are writers that I, that I did, that were like in my wheelhouse that I think like were kind of steeped in Lovecraft. It just wasn't, it wasn't what I read, you know, it wasn't. Yeah. And Emily, I'm laughing because another reason why everyone needs to read this book is all of the annotations that you have mm. in it. And it makes me laugh because there was one where you say something on the side like, ew, tentacles. Like you just <laughs> have the quirkiest, funniest asides in this. And I, oh, wait, sorry, was that on the original draft or was that like a layered thing that came in? And the illustrations as well, because it's just such a unique approach to a novel. Um, uh, well, thank you. Yeah, I um, the 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 footnotes and the asides really came after I figured out the narrator's voice, and that that did take a while. Like that wasn't the initial. Um, I had a much more self-serious narrator for a while. I think the book was a oh. lot less humorous for a while. I mean, not, I, I, I take a long time. You know, this book took uh, six to seven years of writing. I mean, eight years from kind of initial idea to publication, but actual kind of writing time, we'll say, like on the order of six to seven years. And I... Um, and so I tried a lot of things out and it wasn't until I figured out like who this narrator was going to be and how the narrator was going to tell the story and sort of take you by the hand and lead you back and forth between these time periods, winking all the while right? right. that I that I then realized like, well, of course, this novel that is so preoccupied with nested fictions and not just telling stories within stories, but t telling stories about stories. Of course, it's going to have footnotes like, uh, well, of course, like it, it made perfect sense to me that, that that it would have footnotes and sort of asides. And, and that there's no other way, really, that then that this particular narrator would deliver those other than with a wink and a nod, you know. Um, and, and yeah, some of them some of them came kind of, you know, like right in the in the act of composing. And some of those came later in as I was editing and kind of thinking about either information I wanted to convey or. Um, something tonally I wanted to do, but it really was landing on the voice that led to everything else. It was like, who is this narrator and how are they going to tell this, this, you know, complicated story? So I'm so glad that the narrator turned into the narrator that is now in the book, because I can't imagine not having that, you know, side wink, cheeky voice guiding us mm. through it's the story. It's almost like, it's like Phoebe Waller Bridge kind of is in your oh book. Oh my God, I have that written down. You do? Oh, yes. That's really funny. We yes. should get married. Oh, well, yeah. actually, <laughs> that's so interesting. Well, okay. <laughs> I, I would actually like to explain why I was going to bring up Fleabag because so you always should bring up Fleabag when you can bring that's up valid. Fleabag. That is yeah. absolutely correct. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, for people who haven't read the book yet, you talk about Mary McLane and, and this cursed book that these girls get their hands on. And I'm a little embarrassed, but when I said this to Kate, she didn't know either. So that made me feel stronger because Kate's very smart. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize that Mary McLean was an actual historical figure mm. and that this book that you mm. were talking about was indeed uh, titled differently than what it was originally published as, but that this was a real um, piece of work floating around in the world. So I went down the rabbit hole last night 
on Mary McLean. And there was this um, reference, at least on a Wikipedia, and I mean, who the fuck is that? Real Wikipedia, who knows? But they did talk about that she was one of the first people to break the fourth wall with um, some of the work that she did, and which immediately Mm. made me think of Fleabag. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, Mm -hmm. was Mary McLean the original... Phoebe, was she the original Fleabag? Oh, and with yeah. the and the voice of the narrator that you pull into it actually has a very Fleabag feel to it, and that level mm. of like a witticism. Mm. Well, that's a huge compliment. I mean, as a as as big a fan of Fleabag as I think most people are. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I think it's not it's not at all. I should say embarrassing that you didn't know. I'm finding more and more as I talk about the book with people people who you know are all like big readers and very smart and a lot of sapphic folks who know their sapphic history that she still is pretty criminally underknown. Um, even for folks that really know the stuff that know this wheelhouse, which is not to say, and I feel like I really have to stress this, that there haven't been historians and academics obviously doing Mary McLean research and work since the 70s, really. Um, and, and there are a number of kind of fine volumes of her, of, of really collected writings about her because she got so much press. Um, this is a time, right, when like we didn't have the Internet, obviously, 1902, right. but every every town had like five newspapers. And, and Mary McLean was on the cover of like all of them. <laughs> for basically six months because of this scandalous memoir she wrote as a 19 year old. Um, and so, yeah, it's been fascinating to me. You're there. Are a few people thought that I made her up and have told me that and even thought like, is the Wikipedia real? I've heard that too. Is that like a marketing scheme? That would be, uh, like, I've, I've wondered about Blair that. Witch I, actually, you. Yeah. I feel like Mary McLean is spinning in her grave at the thought of <laughs> this, right? Like she would be horrified. I absolutely didn't. And I like the biggest delight to me of this process thus far is just folks discovering her and, um, and getting, the the book that was published as the story of Mary McLean, but yes, that she wanted titled As I Await the Devil's Coming and realizing what I realized, you know, about whenever it was when I was about 28, um, just what a complete joy it is. It is so much fun to read. Uh, it absolutely sort of stands the test of time in, in, in the sense that it feels remarkably kind of contemporary and refreshing, you know, even reading it now um, and bold. And yes, she certainly breaks the fourth wall within it, within that writing. Um, she's she's self-deprecating. She's, she's super sort of like self-aware in her analysis. Um, it's really, really, really smart and thoughtful. And, and I think the thing that was so striking to me beyond the humor was just that it felt like um, it was one of those kind of out of body experiences reading it where I thought I thought these things about my queerness and my sort of womanhood, such as it is like in 1998, you know, when I was a, a high school senior that Mary McLean was thinking in 1902. Mm-hmm. And I just found that like so striking that kind of like. God, this book gets me. Right? Right. Like, I would like to think that we could have been friends. I don't think we could have. I'm not sure she would have cared for me. But um, but yeah, she was remarkable. And the book really stands up. And then beyond that, what, what's so fascinating about her is just is just, again, the story of kind of like the amount of press that it got um, and that it did the exact thing that she asked for it to do. Right. She said, I'm writing this thing to lift me up out of my wary unhappiness. It really does feel like I made it up for these reasons. Right. Like she, she's 19. She writes this book. She wants it to lift her into superstardom. It does exactly that. It gets her out of this, you know, mining town of Butte, Montana and gets her all mm-hmm. these jobs and sends her on this, um, you know, this, this sort of tour of the country and, and opens all these doors for her. Um, but it does not, of course, do the main thing that she asked for the book to do, which is to bring her happiness. Um, and, uh, you know, it certainly gives her superstardom, but not happiness. So 
Yeah. yeah, I'm sitting here looking at, you know, you opened the book. I just I love that this is real now. Um, with <laughs> yeah. An excerpt from her writing and the last sentence before we hand it over to you is, but anyway, I wish someone would write a book about a plain bad heroine so that I might feel in real sympathy with her. I thought mm. that was made up. I, and it, it's just, it's too good. <laughs> it's, it's it is too, too good. good. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, so speaking of this tie to you know, creation and happiness, but success and happiness and achievement and happiness and how we're often lied to when we're younger that like those things are going to, one is going to lead to the other. Mm, mm. Um, you know, one thing I, I mostly write nonfiction in the times I've tried to write fiction, I get very impatient. I like, I'm like, okay, I need to finish this book in nine months because I need it to come out because I need people to read it and I need to make the money and I have to mm. have the achievement from it. And that obviously the the quality of the book that comes out of that mindset is a lot lower. But the question within that is like when I, I mean, you said at the outset that this book all told took what seven or eight years. Yeah. How do yeah. you, how do you keep like, how does your ego handle? I know you had like the Cameron post and then the movie was made and Sunday it, it won at Sundance. So they're like these little blips of like, you know, that kind of like endorphin of success, but like how, how do you manage this like inward, I have to build this thing and I, I can't care if I'm in my little cocoon and I just have to live there. How Emily, do you I do wish it? you could see mm. Kate's body language right now. I'm like, <laughs> she looks like a, like a little tiny like gorilla with these arms and she keeps flexing and pulling it into her midline. <laughs> oh, nice, 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 nice. Um, I've got it. That was a good description. I, yeah. I'm, I'm picturing it. I, um, <laughs> well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, like I didn't do it very successfully over the course of those eight years. I mean, I, I felt like I... I told myself a lot more often than anybody in my life told me, which is always the case that I probably wouldn't ever write another novel because I couldn't mm-hmm. figure out how to do it. I mean, I really did for a long time. And so when I say like it took that time, I want to be real clear. It's not like I was writing every day for eight years. Are you kidding me? I mean, it took that long because there were there were long stretches of months where I wasn't getting anything done. And a lot of that was because my initial idea for this came right after Campost was published. Um, and Campost has had a really long life, which I feel very, very grateful for in that it, it wasn't, you know, it was published to some nice critical um, notation, but it, it, you know, it certainly wasn't at all a bestseller. Right. And it, and it kind of came. And then the summer after it came out in 2012, I had this idea for telling the the present day, right. A story of the making of a cursed horror movie. That, that was my idea. And it was going to be a YA novel and it was going to be my follow up. And I was going to have to write it quickly because that's what, you know, it felt like everybody around me was doing. They'd already sold their second book. Some of them, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. next book was on its way to coming out. Right. And I, and I saw all these people that had been in this debut group with me in 2012, some of whom were like, the second book was done and ready to come out and they were working on the third. And, you know, I was teaching full time then too. And I was like, I, I got to get this sorted. So I like this idea. I've been obsessed with cursed horror movies for a long time. I think I can do this. Um, and it really was, was going to have something similar to the current contemporary cast in the novel of, of Merritt was then named Sylvan, but Audrey and, and Harper, those, those three characters. And that was really going to be the story. Um, and I made some progress on that. Um, but I, but I also knew about myself having written the other novel that I'm a, I'm a writer that kind of writes my way into a novel and, and figures out what the novel is while I'm writing it. Um, and I just knew I'm not going to get this done in, in, you know, like on a two year deadline where the book is going to come out in two years. It's just not going to happen. And so that started kind of getting in my head and my father died in there, like, like right in that time, sort of in, in winter of that year. And, and that obviously was, was a whole kind of changing life experience. 
Um, and I, it, and I just started to feel worse and worse about like, you know, it, it started to sing the song of, it's not just the sophomore slump, right. The kind of mm-hmm. classic, what do you do for the second book? It's maybe I'll be one of the writers that just never writes another novel. Um, and, and started to kind of tell myself that and told myself that for a while. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't know exactly what it was. I mean, I, I, I have to say like, I had a great editor. I had a lot of people that were kind of waiting and they were willing to wait, but it became more and more embarrassing to me. You know, something would happen with camp post and people would say, what are you working on? And it's this kind of crushing, well, I'm not, I can lie to you. I can tell you about this book, but I'm not really working on anything, you know? Um, and I will say at that time, as I said, I was teaching and I also had to kind of realize that, um, I have, I had a teaching position that was, um, you know, certainly it was a full-time kind of academic, you know, university position, but it was a high teaching load. It was a three, three or three, four, some semesters with a number of advisees. Um, and, and of course all the other work that goes along with being an academic. And if I was giving everything I had to being a teacher, I wasn't getting any writing done. It was just that kind of classic. I drew Mm -hmm. from the same creative pool. And if I was doing my best right teaching, I wasn't doing my best writing. And I had to forgive myself that too, you know, Mm -hmm. and all around me again, now, like now the other YA authors are on, some of them are on their fourth books, you know, and I'm just like, (laughs) well, this is what it is. You know, you will never finish this. Um, and at some point in there, I wish I had like a neater timeline for this, but now we're a couple years into this mess of me not really writing the other book and whatever. I realized that um, I had done enough work to kind of think about the background of the other, of, of the book that I didn't end up writing, that I knew that I needed to figure out what this curse was, if it was going to be a curse boarding school. And I had started to sort of realize that I would be really interested in telling the historic portion of the novel. And that started to spark kind of an, an interest in me that I hadn't had, right? where it was like, oh, this is really maybe this is what I want to do, but it's not the thing I told everybody I was going to do. And, um, and they're going to be disappointed. So now there's like another layer of disappointment. So now it's like, you're, you haven't delivered the thing you said you were going to do and you're really late on that. And you now think Jeez. it's going to be a different thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, I mean, I just, this could go on and on. It was a mess basically for a long time. It was a mess. Um, and I finally had to kind of give myself permission to, to, it seems so obvious, but I had a conversation with my agent and she was like, "M, you, you have to write the book that you want to write. Like, yeah. I don't know what you're doing otherwise. Right. You have to write that book. Um, and, and, you know, it, and it, and it, and it was kind of long from then too. I had to get out of the other publishing deal without ever knowing if, if I'd be able to sell this as, as you described it. And I think it's apt this big, weird book. Um, I was like, well, I could do better. I could do better. Sorry about that. I think I've described it as a big, weird book. You know what I mean? So, um, so there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of self doubt. And I think the thing that pulled me along was when I got back into, I really got back into the research and, and, and to the book, right? that's the thing like when I when I'm so that was like five minutes here's the here's the shortened version when I experienced (laughs) the most self-doubt is when I wasn't doing any writing at all that was when I had the most self-doubt when I was actually doing the writing even though I had all this uncertainty about will anybody buy this and can I pull this off that it didn't really matter because I loved that thing that drew me to being a fiction writer in the first place, which was the act of sort of living in this world of my invention. Um, and, but you know, you can tell yourself that and not believe it until you're doing it, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, I'm, I'm sorry, that's a messy answer, but I, I had to find it, figure out a way to believe in the book that I was writing. That's, yeah. you know, that's what I had to do and, and forget about what anybody else had to say about what I wasn't. <laughs> I don't think anybody, which is was what we all need to do, honestly. right? Jeez, the pressure <laughs> is unbelievable. And, and so the miseducation of Cameron post, which was young adult. And I love the, the, the way it's described a, a coming of gauge 
which is so great. Get it? Gay. Yeah, I got. I okay, was right, right, right there with you. Cool. Um, so, <laughs> how you you said that you originally thought that Plain Bad Heroines was going to be a young adult novel, and I'm just wondering when you made the realization of like, oh, you know, this isn't a young adult read. This is adult, and I'm also very curious, like, what came first? You were cursed movie set idea or Mary McLean? Like how did those no, two stories de- come was, together? Yeah, it was definitely. So when it was going to be a YA book, it was just the, the telling of the present day story of the making of the movie. Got right. It. And so you age those three contemporary characters down some. Sure. And it's, it's just sort of that story. Um, that's what it was going to be a much more kind of streamlined. We would have shifted POV between them, but there wasn't any historic portion to that novel. Um, and when I started you know, sort of trying to answer for myself, well, why you've got this great location an abandoned boarding school, but why is it cursed? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, why is this place cursed? And I started doing research into, you know, Gilded Age um, women's colleges and boarding schools and romantic friendships and, and you know, that sort of stuff that I was like, well, I want to tell the story of the of the women at this boarding school. Right. And I knew that I didn't just want to tell the story of the students, which is what we see in a lot of YA boarding school novels, most of them. But I want to tell the story of the women that ran the boarding school. And it became pretty clear, um, not that there are never point of view adult characters in, in, in young adult novels. There's certainly few and far between um but just with with the kind of the other things the novel was going to be taking up it just wasn't a YA book anymore um and so yeah and that years-long process I had to completely get out of of the contract I had for the YA novel and and just go out on my own without having sold this um and as far as Mary McLean she really came into once I once I gave myself kind of permission to write the historic half of the novel I realized well you know this Mary McLean figure that I'd that I'd you know sort of discovered and loved years earlier would completely fit into the time period and made such sense with all the other gothic stuff that I was doing. You know, the notion of a cursed book, um, this sort of sensational book, a bad book, uh, it all fit in. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the chronology of how that happened. And, and now that all of this, like these years have gone by and, 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 and like all the pain that you said that you went through and the frustration, have you had a moment to like sit back and like hold your book in your hands and be like, I'm a uh, fucking genius. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> like, no, definitely not. I'm a fucking genius, but like <laughs> an immense amount of gratitude for just how beautiful the edition of the book is with Sarah's illustrations, which I know you asked about earlier and we should get back to. And just like the beautiful job Morrow did with the, with the hardcover. It just, it looks like, the kind of it's you know, gorgeous. 19th century. Il- yeah, thank it is. Illustri- yeah. I feel like I can say that because I'm not bragging on myself. I'm bragging on the whole design team. The um, presentation and, really is- and the little, the yellow jacket that was on yeah. it. Yeah, it's yeah. not on the book, right? I have the ARC in front of us. I'm actually waiting okay. on the hard copy. And the way Kate and I have been reading this, since we only have the ARC between us, I get to read it during the day and Kate gets to read it. It's a very lesbian thing of us, honestly. <laughs> yes, it it's is. a scarier time. Merge. But, yeah. <laughs> so no, I definitely have had a moment of just like immense gratitude. And I think... Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you, I do think that there is absolutely something to for any other debut that hasn't been able to f- sort of, you know, I know other people are in this in this boat, haven't been able to kind of figure out how to write the second novel, get the second one done and you'll feel so much freer yeah, with God. the third, you know, <laughs> like yeah. I've been making a lot of progress on the next book and there's a lot less kind of bad voices in my head being like, no, you won't yeah. do it. <laughs> I guess because it is like if you're a one hit wonder, there's a lot more judgment on that Mm -hmm. than like if you have two awesome books and it's like, 
no, I'm, like I'm, I, I have the talent and the success to make the, I mean, and, and the focus to make this happen. But if you only right. have one, it's like this huge, are you not talented on your if character. you already created this amazing novel know, that's out in the world? It's, it's nuts. N- yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. But. No, I definitely think it's more people. We tell ourselves this, right. But it's, yeah, we get, we get in our own heads. And I think too, like for me, it was this kind of, the book is very different, obviously, than my first novel. I mean, I think there's a lot of the similar themes, but but it is on this on its face. I get it, a really different novel, um, and so there was that kind of like, do I even have permission to like write, you know? But but I have to be real clear. I was I was telling myself this stuff. I yeah. don't, you know, it was it was it was all me. <laughs> well, um, like drilling down into the just the act of fiction writing. Yeah, you mentioned that you you kind of have to find your way into the story. What would you, in like the the moment of most self-awareness, what would you say when it comes to fiction, like what part of it you might struggle with the most? Hmm. That I, that I, I mean, I, th- like I, character or like plot or like outlining, or is there something where you hmm. like, you're always like, cause I, whenever I write fiction, maybe it's cause I want it to be done in nine months, but I, like, I always <laughs> feel like I have a good plot, but sometimes I'm like, we were talking to someone. I'm like, uh, "What's the difference between your characters?" And I'm like, "Well, one's named Mary yeah. and one's named uh, Sarah. One has blonde sure. hair, one has brown hair." <laughs> sure, sure, yeah, yeah. Um, I know I'm not a great outliner at all, and I know that if I if I could get a little bit better in that, I would I would save myself time certainly. But I, I but I but I tend to not. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I tend to not like try not to worry too much about that stuff in the act of composition, because I think sometimes writers kind of get in their heads. Well, I'm not good at this thing, so I should really try to do this thing as opposed to writing toward the things you are already good at. Right. That you are already sort of gifted about. So I, I don't know Like when people say, what are your routines or like what works for you? I think like we as writers love to talk about those things and that's fine. But whatever gets the words on the page is really what you should be writing toward. Um, so with this novel, I had to challenge myself a lot with plot because it's much more plotty than than my first book which was you know a, a first person you know a, a coming of age story that just sort of followed uh, the main character's chronology as she grew up you know that that's what it was and and this book because of its interweaving stories i had to think more about plot um and and be much more sort of analytical about plot um and so that was you know that was a thing that i had to sort of consciously work on as the drafts piled up but i but i can say like as a as a fiction writer i almost always start with with either scene like having a sense of a scene that i'm trying to write and i think that it's it is cliched advice but it's true that you can you know you can build a novel if you can write a scene i mean it's it's just sort of that simple if you can do the things that scenes need to do in terms of characters always exiting a scene differently than they've entered a scene you can then build a novel of stringing those scenes together it's entirely possible so i my advice is always figure out how to write a scene and and you can write a novel well it sounds like you're you're you didn't want to how does this? I don't. I don't want you to have to praise yourself here, but I. <laughs> I um. There's there's a number of like really amazing visual metaphors in this book, and I know sometimes I know when I write like I can get carried away and thinking like great metaphors are what make a great writer, um. But there's one I want to know like. I feel like every writer has to have those moments when you like you nail one and you know you nailed it, <laughs> and you kind of, like because I've oh we're we gonna share our favorite excerpts because I have some well more I, I have one metaphor in this book that um, that I love and so you don't have to say that you like you have a favorite because then you have to praise your own writing but I do I think it's it'd be crazy to think that you didn't as a writer you don't sit down and sometimes just know you fucking nailed something but what is it what is it what is it, what um, is it? no it's, it's it comes very early in the book but it's page eleven and. Um, <laughs> 
Kate hasn't really read the book, okay? I have too. <laughs> I made it to page 12. All right? No. Um, so it's, it's, it's talking, a, it's, somebody's burning pages of a book out of, uh, out of it. And, and it's, she's, you write, Emily, right? She wrote that she began at page one, tore it free, fed the fire, and continued on until the red binding flapped empty like a mouth with no teeth. And then she burned the empty mouth. And I just think that that's the perfect, um, like, you know, as Stephen King says, like, if you've just basically transmitted an image into my mind, and I've never heard anyone describe, like, you know, the binding of a book when it's empty, it does look like someone's mouth with no teeth. But anyway, so I thought mm-hmm. that one was brilliant, but like, you don't have to pick one, but like, as a writer, there's, there must be moments where you're like, fuck yeah, that metaphor was so perfect. <laughs> Well, there are, no, there are moments where I think like I really nailed a bit of description or that sentence really saying, yeah, yes. But do you have one that like if an editor- One of the pleasures. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting that you point that one out, the one that you just mentioned. And thank you. I I like that one too. That was, that was a later edition when I was working with my editor and not one that she particularly liked. So that's sort of interesting. That's like one that I feel like I kind of, I don't think I had to fight for it. And and I think, I I, I mean, again, I'm not, it's, I've been out out of line at it for a while so forgive me if I'm getting this wrong somewhere but I but I think that like there might have been something else in the construction of that sentence but I know that we went back and forth on that 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 whole paragraph was sort of a later addition for various reasons so that really thrills me like that makes me really delighted because oh. I liked it too and I could see it and um it wasn't always in the book good so Catherine's gonna jump in with one that she loves because basically it's just a love fest <laughs> for you Emily but oh, um but before so nice. that Thank that you. that gives me hope because when I read the that metaphor, the one I just read to you, I thought to myself, well, like everybody universally would want, like would have rubber stamped that immediately because I, and I, and I say that because I'm in edits on a nonfiction book. And I had this idea that like, if you had asked me what my favorite two sentences in the entire book were, I would have told you these two sentences. And I get Mm. the edits back from my editor you know, and it's in the Microsoft Word thing with all the comments and like, all it says yeah. is deleted. And then those two sentences. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I know. No. And I like, I bounce it back to her and I, you know, and I'm like, I'm a dickhead, but I reinstate them with a comment. Like, I don't care if these, like, if you think these don't work, they're too important to me to let go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I hope that someday I'm on a podcast and someone is like, you know what my favorite two sentences <laughs> from your book were? But anyway, Catherine wants to share one. I do. This may not be my favorite passage from the book, but this one, I laughed out loud when I read this. And she picked something from like page 500 so she can prove to you that she read this. This is page 510. Okay, so if you want to know who's the committed one here. Are you kidding me? 510? 510 as I like play with my shirt and brush off my shoulder. Um, This is between Merritt and Harper, which Harper Harper, by the way, oh my gosh, these women, these characters, but I digress. So this was, she smiled at Merritt from behind the compliment giver. As he walked away, she said, you look hot in my shirt before walking away from her. You could have traced a line from those six words to Merritt's clitoris, but she did not manage to collect herself enough to yell after her. I know. I mean, that line line. is, it's like, oh, I just, what'd your editor think of that one, Emily? 
My editor LOL'd in the comments of that one. Yes, so. <laughs> it was so smart. And people who have not read this yet, this book is just peppered full of witticisms like this. But I do want to talk about... Oh, I had oh, a question, oh, though. Okay, Sorry, right, okay. Emily, we just talked at you for a while. But um, the, the larger question in that is, like, how do you balance knowing certain things to fight for versus thir- certain things to let go? I mean, there's the whole, you know, kill your babies idea in writing. Sure, but, like, sure. sometimes you do have to defend things. Mm-hmm. How do you balance that? Yeah, and, and boy, that is the work of like working with somebody. I think like you have to trust the people you're working with. And I don't think that's a small thing because I, I definitely have writer friends who pretty clearly when they talk about their relationships with their editors or their team, it feels like they don't necessarily feel like those people really get what they're trying to do with their mm-hmm. book. And and then that becomes a, a, like necessarily a really messy relationship because if you don't think the person that sort of bought your book and is editing actually gets it um, at the end of the day, then then when, and any of their advice, I think you're going to question mm-hmm. right in a completely different way. And so I really, really knew, um, you know, we, we were in edits on the book for a while. It's it's a big, messy story. And um, and, you know, we, we I, I really, really trusted the Jessica Williams, my editor, got what I was trying to do and that her advice was really geared toward. Um, and I don't even know quite how to put this, I, I, but I but I even sent sometimes, which I think is a really good thing, that she was she, she wasn't giving me that kind of thing that like in a fiction workshop, we, I really always tried to, to struggle to get students to understand you're not giving advice based on the kind of the version of this book that you would write. Right. Or even necessarily the version of the book that you would choose to read if you got to kind of figure out your idealized version of the book, you're giving advice based on the version of the book that you think the writer is trying to write. And mm. that that really is a distinction. And I got sometimes, I could sense that when we would have conversations that my editor really might have felt like things should go another way, or if she was going to have an idealized version of this book, it would be another way. But she was always trying to think about, like, what is the book that Emily is trying to write, and how do I give her advice to that end? Um, And I trusted that. And so that made it much easier for me to then retrust her when she would say, hey, readers are going to be real lost, right? Like, you know, that we worked a lot on kind of transitions from past to present. And, you know, there were moments where she's like, we've been in the present for so long, right? Like we're jumping back into the past. You've got to do a little more handholding here. And I, and I really was just able to, to, I just fully trusted her. I trusted that she got what I was trying to do and that makes the process easier. Um, But yeah, I know a lot of, I know a lot of writers that don't feel that way necessarily about who they're working with in any capacity. And I think it makes it much more challenging. And, and you do have to be willing to let go of stuff that you love because I overwrite, obviously I overwrite, you know, people can, look at the book and be like, oh my God, this book is so huge. Well, you know, there are 150 pages or so that aren't in this version of the book, you know what I mean? And so I certainly let um, sort of prized moments go. Um, you just have to, you know, you have yeah. to do that as, as a writer. You have to, you know, tr- trust that the people that are giving you advice want want the book to be as good as, as it can be. So, yeah. Well, it, we, we obviously need to talk about your characters because... Uh, Harper Harper, I mean, the the plain bad heroine group is is such an amazing trio. And I think that I, I think most people would agree that it's really um it's delicious to read about fictional celebrity too. And yes. this this mm. idea of Harper Harper and you know, how fabulous and sexy and and her twenty two million Instagram followers or whatever it is and and how you indulged us in what it would be like to go around and she's videoing everything and uploading it. And 
I, I, I'm just wondering who, was there anyone in particular who inspired you to write Obviously that Obviously a blonde Kristen Stewart. Obviously. <laughs> no. Maybe. That's not who I saw. But no, we, Catherine and I have fought about this. But have it's you true. fought about it? Yeah. So, I mean, Catherine, will you, will you, I, I don't, I, I, I don't have someone that I think is, that I feel comfortable kind of, as somebody said to me recently, you don't want to put this person on blast. And I said, no, because the, the person that I have in mind I, I think partly because they're they are a kind of influencer and they and they have the kind <gasps> of the look. The, oh my, oh my the, god! Wait, wait, wait. Oh, what? but if I guess it, can you say yes or is that putting them on blast? <laughs> I guess if you guess it. Yeah. I, I kind yeah. of visioned Harper Harper. If I'm being completely honest, it would be a mix of you. Actually, I saw you Ooh. in this character and well, Britnell. Nice. Do you know who Britnell is? Uh, it it you are the first person that has guessed this, and it actually is Britnell. <laughs> I cannot Woo! even believe it. You just—I haven't said to anyone else who it was. Yes! Oh my God, Catherine! Nobody else has guessed it. Catherine has to, like—I want to say, like, oh my God, I love this moment. That's she, crazy. She's gonna lord this over but me. Now I feel like I haven't said that, so now I'm like, I don't, you know, and, and I don't know anything about Britain. I really neither don't. do I. I. Emily, biography. She has awesome hair. About, Emily, yeah. I guarantee you, she yeah. doesn't listen to free cookies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel kind of like I, there's all these things I should know about Brunel that I don't know, and I'm now going to be asked, and I'm going to be like, I don't know. She sometimes sells like it seems like skincare products, or like, is like yeah, a lot of first. like hair gummies, you know. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. And she also would be markedly older, obviously, than Harper Harper. So I think she's in her, you know, her her, her mid thirties, maybe I think, or late thirties. This but, is but hysterical. Yes. Because I have succeeded at life. She is a kind of yeah, an influencer, and she's not, to my knowledge, is not an actor, right? She's a she's a model, I think, primarily, and, a, and an influencer. But yeah, oh my god, fascinating. I kind of don't. I, you can tell I'm a little speechless because this is not. Happening. Well, this, this is, is gay women fucking unite, baby. <laughs> because we were having. I mean, just to like further give you the background on this, I, I we didn't have a fight over this, but I would say like three nights ago, I'm. You know, I'm all like blonde Kristen Stewart because I'm basic as fuck, I guess. And um, <laughs> and Catherine's like, no, you know, I I know that, it, like, I feel deep in my bones that the character is Britnell. <laughs> and I'm like, who the fuck is Britnell? And Catherine goes, you remember? This sounds douchey, but we were at Soho House in in New York like three years ago. And Britnell we like, walked out the door crossing in the night. And Catherine was like, Oh my God, that's Britnell. And so we had like this moment three years ago where we looked at her Instagram, but like it didn't make a mark. And so Catherine had to text her friends three nights ago and be like, who's the blonde influencer? <laughs> and then our good friend, an honorary lesbian was like, Oh, that's Britnell. And so like this, anyway, that's the background to this that's moment. So amazing. And Catherine, I I, I'm sorry. I mean, I know we have to continue the podcast, but I, we, feel like we just won the Super Bowl. We do. I know. I feel like I should send you a certificate or something. I don't even, I, like, I just, it really is, it's a remarkable moment, and I'm glad that it happened with the both of you. That's all I can say. I can't, well, I can't, I can't get over it. I really I'm going to leave so now because I'm going to go get a yellow jacket tattoo, but I'll be right back. But I, but, I, but I have to say, Kate, like, to be fair, I think Britt and, and and Kristen Stewart are the perfect, like, combo of figures. Thank right? you. Because of, because of the film. 
film because yeah. of the film background and some of the other things. Like I think that is this, like an amalgam of the two. Makes Emily, the is this my participation her, 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 her. trophy that you're trying <laughs> to give me right now? <laughs> you're the most improved player. <laughs> no, no. I'm Sixth man to of the, the year. Off of anybody being like, Brittanelle is Harper Harper, and I'm like, no, no, no. She just, I just had. Her, She's like, fiction. Kind of She's fiction. It's a look. In my head. It's an energy and a look for sure. Harper an Harper energy okay. and a look. Exactly. Yes, fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, do we have any? Did we I have? Mean, a, I have other questions, but I feel like I there's such a hard right now. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is such a hard right, but I'm gonna try and bring it back around um, because this is probably more fun for us than the listeners at this point that we know. Well, I'm hoping everyone's looked up Britnell. It's like two T's, oh. by the way. It's a weird spelling, but anyway, continue <laughs> okay, on. Emily's everybody. like, stop. Please I know. stop. I'm gonna let it go. I'm gonna let it go. Um, so you do you, you still teach at Rhode, Rhode Island College, right? I I left a year ago. Um, I left one year ago. Will you ever do a master class? <laughs> so we can take I, it, please. <laughs> really no, I, um, I, I am so I'm still really sort of um, I, I feel sort of still really unsure about having left the uh, uh, my teaching position. I, I loved my students and I had great colleagues, but as I mentioned to you, I I didn't get any writing done, and I kind of had yeah. to make the choice of like, are you going to, um, are you ever going to write anything again, and and, and if so, you know. Um, yeah, you're going to have to figure that out. You're going to have to teach in a different way. I couldn't teach full time. And I should be very like, I, I feel like this is really necessary to say, because people are always like, how do writers pay the bills? My wife has health insurance. And that was a big factor mm-hmm. because I had health insurance mm-hmm. through my teaching. And so I want to make that really clear that if, if Erica, you know, didn't have great health insurance and um, is not in a, in a creative field and, and has some some job security, although in these times, uh, not as much as she used to. Um, I, I, that was a big factor in the decision. But um no, I, I, I taught my way through my MFA, through my PhD, and it was a pretty heavy teaching load. And, and then, you know, for, for several years um, here at Rhode Island College, and um, I didn't realize how much all that teaching kind of added up. You, you just did it, right? Like I know so, so many of my writer friends are academics and you just do it. And I hadn't realized for how many years I'd been teaching full time. Um, and it feels really good to sort of like have, to have stepped away from a moment. I will say there's still a number of writers uh, and some of them, my students, former students at Rick that I still, I, I don't like the word mentor particularly. They might use it, but I still talk to some, in some cases on like a weekly basis and mm-hmm. still get to see their work and, 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 you know, still feel connected to some of my students that way. But, um, I'm not ready to dive back in. I got to mm-hmm. tell you, I, I really am not. So thank you. That That's a lovely question. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm enjoying sort of the break at the moment, but I do, fi- I hope at some point I can figure out how to teach again it just won't be in a full-time capacity so um yeah okay one more hard right turn before we get to like the really uh challenging questions of this podcast okay. but super I know, I don't, I ask, i'm ready to ask be asked about cookies but no let's yes do the yeah, it's true and then we'll do it um <laughs> so i don't know maybe it just seems loud in our own home but throughout this podcast our puggle has been yelping at the back door to go out um and i did read that you believe that you have the most spoiled dogs oh that's right i would like to offer you one way in which our dogs are more spoiled and then you try to top it um all right okay so we we make crock pot for our dogs we make you their make, food every 10 days uh, we make their food okay. and it has like, coconut oil and turmeric like in it. bags <laughs> 
Okay, so our our dearest couple friends do that for their dogs, and we do not. We don't do that. So you're right that in that Woo! sort of. But our our dog Kevin has has like is on a limited <laughs> ingredient diet, it, and has has since we've gotten him, sort of he he gets this very expensive kind of limited ingredient diet canned food. So mm. I, it's not making the food. I get it, but um, but it's limited edition. It's limited edition. Like a, it's like a one of one. Very, it's very fancy food, I will say. Like, I, you know, every time I go to order it, I'm like, I can't believe for eight years we've just been getting this food yeah. for this dog. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever worry that you talk to your wife through your dogs too Absolutely. much? Absolutely. And that it Absolutely. might be degrading your own relationship because I worry about this a yeah. lot. <laughs> yes. In fact, my wife said to me yesterday, yesterday, she said, because I whispered something to our other dog, Sally, about Erica, my wife. <laughs> and Erica said, if our dogs ever learn to speak and tell us the things that we tell them about each other, we're going to break up. And I, I was like, what have you been telling the dogs about me? I had no idea. Uh, it was that bad. So, okay. yeah, we we do the gross kind of like communicating through the dogs, talking yep. and we do all of that to a to a, a, a disgusting degree. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fair. Yeah. That's, that feels good because we do at least we're 50% t- of the day speaking through like, Ashi and Kira's yeah, voice. I'll be like, Ashi, tell well, Catherine to empty the you. dishwasher. <laughs> like, I feel like we've just gone there. So now I have a question for you. Do you find yourself in a way that I think like if another version of yourself that was pet less or just maybe oh. a younger version of yourself could see would be really <laughs> mortified on your behalf? Do you find yourself talking about your dog's um, bathroom habits. Okay. Oh my God, Emily, oh my God. Emily, Emily, oh my God. Emily. We literally just did that right before we got on the phone with you. I know. We actually just recorded the opening for your interview and we talked about how our puggle, Ashi, came in smelling like a little more poopy than she normally did because she likes to go outside and she like, you know. Her, uh, Emily, she eats her own poop. She eats her own poop. She's a dog. She's a dog. And she came in smelling a little more poopier than she normally does, which, no. you know, I am like a connoisseur of what Ashi smells like. Yes. And it turns out she had actual turd like wedged in between her fingers. We, we also. No. Yes. Listen, we also, no. as they're pooping outside, we we grade the poop, right? Like we're like, yeah. Ooh, oh, yeah. what did yeah. she have yes. yesterday? Mm. Yes. Oh, that's it's a hard so one. It's so um, gross. We do this on dog walks in particular. Yes. Where we're, we're, we're like literally waiting, right, for the dog so that we can pick it up. And during that time, there has to be discussion about what has And I. I, you know, it was, it was when my wife used to travel more for work than she does now. And it was when I realized that we were often texting about bathroom and I would see it written on my screen and I was like, what has happened to you? This are is we? what you do. Oh my God. Well, I just, for, for, for single people or a couple people, just a little nugget of hope. Nugget. nugget. See what I did yeah. there? Um, <laughs> back when Ashi was just a little tiny baby and I was single living by myself, she did have one particularly bizarre poop. So bizarre. It had like a weird spiky ball in it that I actually mm. took the poop inside, put it in the sink, and I dissected this spiky ball because oh I thought that God. she like, you know, it was like from space balls where like the alien comes out of the stomach and I was worried that an alien was like spawning itself yep. in her belly. And it turns sure. out she had just bitten off a little like rubber spike from one of her chew toys. Very lucky that okay. it made it all the way through her system. Yeah, because when I cut it through, it was yeah. vibrant and green on the inside. And yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, oh, okay. oh yeah. So no, maybe single no. people do weird dog poop stuff too. Wow, how did I'm we get sure. here? Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sorry. I brought us here and I apologize no, for it. No, but that's <laughs> at least 25% of our conversation every day. So, you know, we're filling the quota. <laughs> at a minimum. 
Um, all right, now comes the cookie content right after the poop content. Yes, yes. Naturally. Um, so I'm going to go with the either or question to start, uh-huh. even though I, the, I... It's power play, Kate. It's power it play. is a power play. I feel because, Emily, that you have on your website that you love 80s slasher movies, that mm-hmm. you like things a little off the beaten path. I do. Um, would you pick... <laughs> An oatmeal raisin cookie or a chocolate chip cookie? Okay. I, I sensed that this was coming. And I just want to ask. I just want to ask. Yeah, I yeah. Because I, I want to, I'm feeling serious about this. Please I get do. that, like, we don't want to do kind of, like, exotic cookie varieties. That's fair. But I want to ask, are those my only two choices? Because I feel like I want to make a case for a, 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 it's, 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 it's conventional, but not as conventional as the chocolate chip cookie, which would be the peanut butter cookie absolutely we want to hear cookie. all about this i was okay, gonna so I, open I, it up I, I after am a, i am absolutely if I, I mean if i have to choose between the two of those because i like my chocolate chip cookies in a very particular way i'm actually going to go with oatmeal raisins mm. I am. yeah even though because I, because I only pick chocolate chip cookies if they're made the way like there's a one way that i like wait them, what, what's the, the what's of, the one way it's the, it's the sort of butter it's like they're very buttery and chewy and they're kind of thin have you had that version of them like they're a thin cookie but they're not thin and crispy Ooh, they're, they're thin and chewy yeah are we talking about they're like you thin. buy them at a bakery or you get them in a box because there's two very um, different no, kinds of chocolate you don't cookies. get them in a box no you don't get them in a box you you can you can bake them like there's a there's a couple recipes online for that smith kitchen has a really <gasps> is good it one. like uncle but eddie's you can, have you had uncle eddie's chocolate chip cookies i've never had that but i might if that's if it's thin and chewy, it's. I, I mean, it's not from Rhode upset. Island, so. Okay, um, <laughs> Emily, no, would I so would no. I Google thin chewy chocolate chip cookie recipe, yep. and probably the internet has done that for me. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. But, do thin chewies. Do thin chewies. But, but I do love a ra- oatmeal raisin. I love it. I for love the record, you did select oatmeal raisin. For the record, Between she selected those peanut two, butter. But I have to tell you, my favorite of kind of like conventional cookie types is the peanut butter cookie. Yeah. I love a yeah. good peanut butter cookie. That's what I love. And I love at Christmas when my mother makes them and puts the, not the Hershey's Kiss version, but puts the um, Reese's peanut butter cup on mm. top. So it's yes. like all the extra. Yeah. That really is my favorite cookie. Yeah. It's so good. In, so in, in fairness, I was going to open up the question after I boxed you into an either or. I was going to open it up. <laughs> it has to be one or the other. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah you yeah. puffed up on that question this time. <laughs> really deriving the direction. I there. felt that the way I asked the question made clear to Emily the correct answer. And she felt <laughs> she felt that I felt There's left out <laughs> about the earlier Britnell thing. And yep. she wanted yep. me to yep. have my I moment in the sun. It's okay. I'll take Britnell. <laughs> you take oatmeal cookies. <laughs> <laughs> the real question is which would Britnell pick? I think right? that's really what that's what the what's what your listeners demand to know. Uh, we so. are going to DM her on Instagram even though she doesn't follow don't. either of us. <laughs> don't don't oh, worry, she's no. not gonna check her DMs from us. <laughs> Well, this I, has been the greatest moment of Catherine's life. I, I oh. know. Interview. I'm just going to so- go kick my feet up and <laughs> cross my hands behind my head and feel real good about myself. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, well, Emily, thank you so much for your time and for writing this book. I, I've told Catherine numerous times, it's so nice that when you're reading something and you two female characters meet and in like normal land I'm like yeah they're probably not gonna hook up and in your book I'm like yeah they're probably gonna hook up oh, so good. <laughs> and like this is a great thing for well, straight and gay people alike it is it is yes. the queer community celebrates and the straight people like they need to get used and to besides this. just that besides that very shallow and you know 
interpretation. It also is a genius book on so many levels and the nesting of it and all that. And we, it has been a, a lovely thing between you said us. nesting. Good work. Thank you. So thank you for writing this book. It is, it's, it's awesome. Thank you. Thank you both. This has been really fun. It's been so fun to talk to you and, um, congratulations on the undeciphering. I can't, I still, I'm still kind of not over that moment. I'm going to have to go contemplate. Hey, it, you so. know where to find me if you need to talk it out a little bit more. Okay. <laughs> Listen, Emily, when we're in Rhode Island, I'm going to, we'll, we'll meet up at the shop in Providence we'll get and get a coffee, coffee syrup. Absolutely. We yes. should. And then we yeah. can go visit Spite Tower, which is a real place. In yes. Middle oh my we God. Go. Yes. Yes. It's, it's happening. Yes. It's All right. We'll do it. All Thanks. Right. Thank you. Thank y'all. Bye-bye. Bye. That'll do it for this year's 2020 edition of Free Cookies. Heavily influenced by The Inky Phoenix, which you can follow on Instagram at The Inky Phoenix. This show is produced by Lindsay Collins of FNB Radio. Who we love, and make sure you check out at FNB, E F F I N B Radio's Instagram over the holidays because I do believe Lindsay's gonna be dropping a whole lot of holiday hot tips. Hot tips on the holiday recipes and hot tips of how to not go crazy. Do we have any reviews from Apple Podcasts where you can rate and review the show because it really helps the show? So if you can't support the show on Patreon and become a patron, one way to support the show is to go to Apple Podcasts yes. and to rate and review the show. Yes. And we do happen to have one new review, and it is entitled Fun Times. Mm. Five stars. Mm. And we want to thank you, undash. Okay, so it's perfected, but the E is a three instead of an E. So it's undash P perfected. Okay, well, (laughs) that is unperfect. So it's perfect for unperfected. I know. Yeah. And what does unperfected say? (laughs) They they say interesting topics approached with intellect and a sense of fun. Mm. Highly recommend. That is great. Intellect and fun. I really like to be at the nexus of those two traits. Perfectly and unperfect humor. Perfectly. You know what makes perfect? Not practice, but perfect practice. Oh, shit. Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Our kids are going to love you. It's going to be great. (laughs) I am going to have that above a door jam. And every time... Above a door jam, you mean above a door? Yeah. No, above the overhead of the door. Uh, Yeah. So not the door jam, like where you would put the WD-40. Yeah, I I don't know. Whatever you call the the door arc, the archway. I'm gonna put, but it might not be an arch. It might just be like a flat door surface frame. door frame. I'm gonna put it above the door frame leading to our backyard. Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect, and that's where I'm gonna drill our children. Perfect in the makes perfect, and if you're not already perfect, then you are fucked. <laughs> Happy 2020. I just didn't feel like that's the right way to end this year. That's yeah, right. That's you right. take that. You put that in your pocket. I'm kidding. Are we gonna, are you gonna keep going? I, I love you guys. Bye.